to another edition of America's Godly Heritage. Today we are going to celebrate Thanksgiving by looking at the proclamation for a day of public thanksgiving and praise given by Curtis Guild Jr., the governor of Massachusetts, in 1907. So here is the proclamation. The Commonwealth of Massachusetts, by His Excellency, Curtis Guild Jr., Governor, a proclamation for a day of public thanksgiving and praise. At the springtime and at the ebbing of the year, two American holidays are dedicated to gratitude. On Memorial Day, we gather to commemorate the sacrifices made by man. On Thanksgiving Day, we reverently acknowledge our debt to the mercy and providence of Almighty God. In accordance with a custom at once reverent and inspiring, I, therefore, with the advice and consent of the Council, appoint Thursday, November 28th, as a day of thanksgiving prayer and praise. May the scattered children of the Commonwealth return to the ancient hearthstone, that the successful may rejoice with those who have known them as brothers, that the afflicted may feel the consoling touch of a mother's hand. Material prosperity has been ours beyond the fortune of any other people, and with prosperity has come almost measureless power at the council board of the nations. May it be granted to us to use that power for good. May we remember that the venerable charter of the colony from which our commonwealth arose cites that the purpose to which Massachusetts was dedicated is reverence for religion and the spread of civilization and happiness among those less favored than ourselves. Confident that even hardship and misfortune would, under divine providence, be converted for good, the pilgrim founders of the feast gathered together in hope and even in joy, and faced their trials with a song. Let us, in our flood tide of success, desert not the duties of religion. In the liberality of faith, respecting every honest conviction, let us remember that no nation of atheists has ever been allowed to live. In returning thanks for the ever-broadening brotherhood of man, let us the more gratefully acknowledge the beneficent fatherhood of God. Given at the council chamber, this 30th day of October, in the year of our Lord, 1907 and of the independence of the United States of America, the 132nd. Curtis Guild, Jr., by His Excellency the Governor, with the advice and consent of the Council, William M. Olin, Secretary. God save the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. Now, let's take a few minutes to dig a little deeper into this proclamation. First, note that it begins and ends with a sense of gratitude. In the first paragraph, Governor Guild says that on Thanksgiving, we reverently acknowledge our debt to the mercy and providence of Almighty God. The proclamation ends with a reminder to more gratefully acknowledge the beneficent fatherhood of God. Beneficent means doing or producing good performing acts of kindness and charity, and being generous or open-handed. So we should be thanking God for the good that He does in our lives, 
for his kindness and for his open-handedness and generosity to us. Note that the governor declares November 28th not just to be Thanksgiving Day, but a day of thanksgiving prayer and praise. He exhorts us to be thankful, to praise, and to pray to the Lord our Provider. All that we have had, have now, and ever will have are provided to us by God. And I'm not just talking about physical things like our homes, cars, food, and Xboxes. I'm also talking about our jobs, our churches, our talents and abilities, and our friends and family. We should be praising God for these, but also we should be praying. We should be praying for our co-workers and our managers and for God to bless the companies or organizations we work for. We should be praying for our brothers and sisters in Christ and our church leaders and for God to bless and grow our churches. We should be praying for God to use us to bless others. We should be covering our loved ones in prayer. Guild must have had this last prayer point in mind because his next paragraph is to encourage people to go home and spend time with those who have loved and supported them. He states, May the scattered children of the Commonwealth return to the ancient hearthstone, that the successful may rejoice with those who have known them as brothers, that the afflicted may feel the consoling touch of a mother's hand. So he's saying, Go home and rejoice with those who love you, and the good things that are going on in your life. And if you have bad things going on, go to those who love you so that they can console you, they can bless you, they can give you the love and the support that you need. Then the proclamation shifts from the personal to the national. It says, With prosperity has come almost measureless power at the council board of the nations. Some people reading this may think this is referring to the United Nations. However, this proclamation was written in 1907, 38 years before the founding of the United Nations. In fact, a council board is an old-fashioned way of saying a conference table. Guild is saying that at the beginning of the 1900s, the United States had become so prosperous due to God's blessings that it had become a world player. It had a powerful seat at the world conference table. That line turned out to be prophetic, for at the end of World War II, the U.S. was rich and dominant, and it strongly influenced the creation of the United Nations. Thus, it had a seat of almost measureless power at this Council Board of the Nations. Guild goes on to say, May it be granted to us to use that power for good. This reminds me of the famous adage from Spider-Man, With great power comes great responsibility. Jesus, our role model, had great power. In fact, he had ultimate power. But he didn't abuse his power and make himself the dictator of the world, which he easily could have done. Instead, he kept his power in check and used it to help others. The Gospels are chock-full of the miracles he performed and the lives he changed. Yet everything he said and did was to point people to his Father God and to further God's kingdom. 
we Christians have also been granted such power and responsibility. Everything we say and do should be pointing others to God and furthering his kingdom. Then the governor of Massachusetts aptly reminds us to remember that the venerable charter of the colony from which our commonwealth arose cites that the purpose to which Massachusetts was dedicated is reverence for religion and the spread of civilization and happiness among those less favored than ourselves. He's reminding us about the Charter of New England of 1620, which was granted by King James I. It states that the king is granting the humble petition of diverse of our well-disposed subjects to make several plantations, in hope thereby to advance the enlargement of Christian religion to the glory of God Almighty, as also by that means to stretch out the bounds of our dominions and to replenish those deserts with people governed by laws and magistrates. This is remarkably similar to the First Charter of Virginia of 1606, which was granted by King James I again to the first colonists of Jamestown. At that period of time, the Europeans saw the New World as a dark wilderness, a desert, that needed the light of Christ and would benefit from European civilization. In Of Plymouth Plantation, William Bradford writes that the pilgrims had a great hope and inward zeal for the propagating and advancing the gospel of the kingdom of Christ in those remote parts of the world. If those who first came to this land came with the purpose of bringing the light of God into the darkness of the new world, then we should continue pursuing this purpose by bringing light into the darkness in this world as well. Despite a horrendous ocean crossing and a devastating winter, during which over half of their numbers died, the pilgrims remained faithful to their mission. They kept their eyes on God. As Guild says, they were confident that even hardship and misfortune would, under divine providence, be converted for good. I'm sure many of you caught that reference to Romans 8.28, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Throughout their terrible trials, the pilgrims remained steadfast in their faith, believing that God would indeed work their trials for good and he did. The pilgrims became a model for integrity, hard work, and faith for future generations. The pilgrims developed long-lasting, strong, and mutually respectful relationships with the neighboring Native Americans. And the pilgrims had a tremendous influence in shaping our government. In the Mayflower Compact, we see for the first time ever free and equal men voluntarily covenanting together to create their own new civil government. The Mayflower Compact also contained three concepts crucial to our democracy, the consent of the freemen, the rule of law, and having civil government based upon a godly foundation. You can learn more about that in the episodes about the pilgrims that we have in America's Godly Heritage. Okay, commercial over. The Thanksgiving proclamation resumes. The pilgrim founders of the feast gathered together in hope and even in joy 
and face their trials with a song. That's kind of a weird little comment, isn't it? People today tend to think of the pilgrims as being dour and quiet. But according to the music scholar Waldo Selden Pratt, the pilgrims loved lifting their voices in song to their creator. Pratt states, We do know that song and worship was one of their cherished and characteristic customs. They even had their own hymn book, the Ainsworth Psalter, which had been written by Henry Ainsworth during their exile in Holland. While the pilgrims remained faithful in their great trials, Governor Guild exhorts us to remain faithful in our success. Let us, in our flood tide of success, desert not the duties of religion. In the liberality of faith, respecting every honest conviction, let us remember that no nation of atheists has ever been allowed to live. In returning thanks for the ever-broadening brotherhood of man, let us the more gratefully acknowledge the beneficent fatherhood of God. This comment about a nation of atheists is not talking about communist atheist nations, because again, this was written in 1907, and that was a decade before the establishment of the first communist nation. Instead, this comment is meant to look at the hearts of individuals who comprise a nation. When we have little and we're struggling, we tend to turn to God. Yet, when we are prosperous and well-fed and life is good, we tend to forget him. We tend to rely on ourselves, on our bank accounts, our careers, our talents and abilities, instead of on the one who provided those bank accounts, careers, talents, and abilities. By turning our eyes away from God and onto ourselves, in a sense, we have become atheists. We tend to forget all that our beneficent Father has given to us and to become puffed up with pride. And as we all know, pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. Proverbs 16.18 Thus, a nation of atheists, a nation of people who are relying on themselves instead of on the God who has blessed them so abundantly, is going to fall. So let that not be us. Let us gratefully acknowledge the beneficent fatherhood of God. Let us now take some time to remember who God is and what he has done for us. Let us be truly grateful for God's blessings this Thanksgiving. Thank you for listening to this edition of America's Godly Heritage. We wish you and your loved ones a happy and thankful Thanksgiving. And of course, we hope you have a great day. Bye! Help us spread our message. If you would like to learn more about America's Godly Heritage or to support us with prayers or finances, you can find us on YouTube, Vimeo, Patreon, Give, Send, Go, most podcast sites such as Buzzsprout and Spotify, and on social media X, Truth, Instagram, and Facebook. You can view the resources used to make this podcast on YouTube, Vimeo, and Patreon. We really appreciate your support. Thanks again. Bye!